I had nothing. All that I had funded on credit cards. Because, yeah, I'm a college dropout. I have no money. I have no, you know, family that can uh, provide my funding for this business. And so I moved in with my older brother. He had an empty room in his condo in Bountiful, and I, I slept on the floor. Welcome to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast, inspiring stories from local people and businesses you likely already know and trust. Here is your host, third generation family business entrepreneur, Renee Oswald. Welcome back to another episode of East Idaho Entrepreneurs. Thank you for joining today to hear the origin stories of East Idaho entrepreneurs, business owners, and influencers. My hope is that learning from our local entrepreneurs can inspire you to follow your dreams and also give you an opportunity to get to know your neighbors a little better. So today, I am joined by a man who has accomplished much in his life. He is an entrepreneur, a philanthropist, an author. Welcome Cameron C. Taylor to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's exciting to be able to talk to you, Cameron. You are a successful business owner, and with that success, you've been able to branch out and help other business owners. You've also authored several books that provide education as well as inspiration. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about your origin story? Like, how did you come? What I understand about you is that you were working on an MBA, and you left, so you're an MBA dropout. Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, now you're a wildly successful entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about that story. So I, I attended Brigham Young University in Provo and I was studying business management. But again, even in business management, the whole degree is designed to go get a job. I mean, that's what they're teaching you to do and you're doing your interviews and your internships. But I always had inside me a desire to have my own business. I remember even going and interviewing for jobs. I interviewed for a job with Franklin Covey. I love leadership development yeah. and and I love Dr. Covey's book, you know, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. So I was like, okay, well, I have to do an internship. I'll go there and see. And I remember as I was interviewing with him, I was like, how long until I'm the CEO? And they're you like, said that. yeah, <laughs> and I was like, what do I have to do to, to be the CEO of the company? And he just kind of laughs. He's like, I don't think I've ever had an interviewer ask me that. Right? He's like, this is for an internship. You're like an entry-level guy. And I was like, I know, but if I'm working here, I want to be the CEO and run the company. That's my goal. So what's that going to take? And he's like, well, maybe 30, 40 years. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, well, that's going to take too long. He's like, well, if I start my own company, then I can start as the CEO and owner. And then they showed me where I'd be working and it would be a cubicle. But I was still hesitant to make that leap. And even in the academic world, it's always go get more education, right? Only thing better than a bachelor's is a master's. And then get a master's, get a PhD. And it's just that world is more education. Right. And as a, in the bachelor's degree, there was a class called the Entrepreneur Lecture Series. And they'd have successful entrepreneurs that came back each week and spoke. And I went to that every week for two years. And... It's just so inspirational to me to see people that had taken that leap, had built successful businesses, and and I would ask them questions and just started to see. It's like, okay, that's that's what I want to do. You know, I want to do that. And I saw, well, they had a lot of failures, but I was like, well, if I'm willing to try three, four, five businesses, that they all made it work eventually. And uh, but I was still hesitant, so I was like, well, may I do the MBA? And I still had some little side businesses I was doing, you know, to pay for my bachelor's degree. And 
and I was still doing those as we were starting the MBA program. And then at the start of the MBA program, they brought a paper that said, uh, you can't have, you can't work and you can't have any side businesses, anything. You can only, it's going to require 78 hours a week. That's what we require of every student. And to have anything competing with that would be unfair to the other students. And I said, are, I can't. Are MBA programs like that now? I think, I think well, a lot of them have you okay. sign those statements. Then you just and, can't do any side gigs. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, really? I was like, I can't have a business while I'm in business school? And they're like, Doesn't no. seem to go together. Like, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, I was like, if I have to make the choice, then I'm going to drop out. And they're like, there's only these few spots. You're one of the the few people to, to get in and be accepted. You're really just going to drop Give out of school. And as I started looking at it, I was like, well, the... The person graduating with an MBA at that time was like $65,000. And so I was like, I'm going to put in 70, 80 hours a week for two years for the right to go have a job in a cubicle making $65,000 a year. But a lot of those starting MBAs are working 70 hours a week, too. I know. And I was like, I was like, the demand I started looking work. at it and I was like, I was making $1,000 a week working 10 hours a week with my side business. And so I was like, I, I was like, didn't seem to be worth it. So I said, okay, I'm going to drop out. And yeah. I'm just going to pursue my dreams of being an entrepreneur. So, so may I ask you a question? Had you, it sounds like you maybe had always had that entrepreneurial spirit. Were you raised by entrepreneurs? Where did that come from? No, my dad, well, my dad did try a couple of businesses in his early ons and they both failed. And so he then took a job at Orida Foods and he ended up working his way through the executive ranks at Orida Foods and worked there for 40 years and retired from there and had a very successful, productive career there. I'd say he was an entrepreneur and he uh -huh. did very, he actually had several innovations and inventions that were developed inside the well, company that helped, mm -hmm. you know. Um, When you were a kid, did you show this entrepreneurial thing? Um, I, I love to do sales, so if there was any sales competition or anything like that, I love to go out and uh, and do well in those competitions and see if I could win those. Um, but I didn't have a lot of exposure to business owners or or that world. Um, I did I did enjoy um, you know working that uh, I had a full time job even when I was you know 14. I had it, but you know, they just paid me cash because it violate all the labor yeah, laws. Of course, uh, yes. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, so that's what's sad. It's like they, uh, they, the laws prevent you from those who want to work from working. But I still found ways. Yeah. Around that, but all those were just working as, as jobs. But I enjoyed seeing how the businesses worked, and and so it kind of. At that time, did you envision yourself being an entrepreneur? Or did you know? Well, no, you were going to no, business school. No, I still, school. yeah, and that, you know, that's just always what you're taught to go to go to school and yeah. get a degree and go get a job. and So was and it this lecture series that really got that's lit really that fire? That's what really opened it up to yeah. see that, hey, you can really do this. I could really do this, even though I don't have anyone you know, close to me that's in that world. And even those that were close to me when I'm dropping out of school were like, Oh, I bet they hated that. That's a big mistake, <laughs> you know. Yeah. To, uh, and uh, so, but seeing enough of those examples of these other people I just saw hey it's possible and that's one thing I've always said is like if if they can do it so can I and it, there's a there's a pattern and so I've always had that belief that if I see someone 
um, whether it's learning to speed read, that I say, okay, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Well, if this person can build a business, well, then I should be able to learn the, the principles and the techniques and the strategies to be able to do it as well. So, so already I have heard, as you have been speaking, that you are a very analytical guy. You were looking at your MBA analytically. You were looking at other people's patterns analytically. Like, is this the way that you think? And I think I have, and I, I start to realize that not everyone thinks this way. <laughs> But I will look and I'll kind of see where will this lead um, to look to see. But I would look and I wouldn't want someone that was whatever their business or profession. I'd want to look 10, 20 years down the road. So I was like, okay, where's this person, you know, 10 years from now? Or looking at the MBA students, I was like, where are they 10, 20 years from now? And is that the life that I want? Uh -huh. And looking, okay, the decisions I make now, what is that going to look like um, uh, down the road? So I... I've always had kind of that sense, or same with finances, of looking to say, okay, if I invest here or do this or make these choices, you know, trying to envision what that outcome is going to be. What that will look like, yeah. So tell me a little bit. Can you explain some of the side gigs you were going like now that you're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur? What were some of these side gigs? Well, the the one that we did when I was a senior. Uh, a couple of my buddies were selling timeshares, uh -huh. and I was like, "Well, can I get in on that?" And <laughs> that do looks it? like a good gig. And because yes, they were making like a thousand bucks a week, so I was like, "Well, if I do what they do, then I could make a thousand bucks a week, right?" So sales again, so this thing that you sales. were comfortable yeah. with. Uh -huh. So I went in with them and and was able to then learn how to do it. But it was first first twenty presentations, I didn't make a single sale. But it's like anything; you're learning how to do it, and I'd watch the other guys and learning how to do it and then I got industry average is about one in ten, and I got after those first twenty with zip, I I was averaging one in five as a sale, but again it was always it had to fit for the customer as well. I've always been sure. one if it's not something I would buy and use, not something I would sell my mom, I won't sell it. Yeah, that that's the the greatest salesmen are. You're selling things that you believe in. And so there'd be people that say I want to buy this, and I was like, no, I don't think it's a good fit for you, and they're like. You're not going to sell it. They want to buy it. And I was like, no, I don't think it's a good fit for them. Yeah. And so I don't want to sell it to them. And I now own the, the time show I sell it. I own. So once I had the money to do it, and we now use that, we usually six weeks a year that we, we vacation yeah. somewhere between six to eight weeks a year that we use our time show that I used to sell. That's and it's great. amazing. Yeah. But again, but it worked for you. It works for me <laughs> and how we travel and vacation. But I was able to then help those people and I think that's always part of with any of the businesses that I do. I was like if this isn't something I would sell to my mom or I don't use personally, then it's not something I will promote as a business owner yeah. or as a salesman. And so So then let's go back to your college days. You drop out. What is it that you're pursuing? What is this dream that has drive has driven you? Well and a lot of it that's the hard part with entrepreneurship because I'm watching and it's just thinking, well what am I going to do? It's not like I can go get a job application or the, the path of an entrepreneur is very different. You have to find an idea. You have to find an opportunity. You have to find an opening. And I always watch and I was like, I had no ideas. Don't know. <laughs> I was like, what yeah. am I going to do? Oh gosh. I want to be an entrepreneur, but I had no ideas. Did you have of a family at this time? Were you married? So I was, I was still single uh -huh. at that time. So that was in 19... 99 that I dropped out then the next year I did get I got married in 2000 and that first business that I started 
Um, it was a it was a a sales training and a, a development company that uh-huh. we had, and we had some really good clients, and we had a, I landed a really big client, and we had a big contract with them, and we spent tens of thousands of dollars developing the materials and printing all the custom materials for this company, and it would have been a very successful contract, but at, when it came time for them to take delivery of the materials and pay, they breached contract and no. didn't pay. No, so here you are. You've put everything, like you've risked everything. And yeah, I put tens of thousands of dollars of my own money to do the printing and development of these materials, and they were and they were worthless because they were all custom for this organization. Oh, no. What'd so you do? So I couldn't do? sell them for anything. I'm... <laughs> I, I, yeah, I had nothing. So, and, it, and all that I had funded on credit cards because oh, I yeah. had no, yeah, I'm a, yeah, I'm a college dropout. I have no money. I have no, you know, family that can uh, provide my funding for this business. And so I moved in with my older brother. He had an empty room in his condo in Bountiful. And <laughs> I said, hey, bro, I'm I, coming in. And I, I slept on the floor. Were you, at this point, maybe regretting your decision to drop out of school? Were you thinking maybe you'd made the wrong decision? No. You still believed in it. Yep, I know. It was like, that business would have worked. And then I was looking to see, okay, well, what things should I have done? Well, yes, I should have got some payment up front. I should have done some other things to maybe solidify the contracts, you know, to where I'd have a little more recourse things on there. I still could have pursued them, but I've, I've never pursued someone in a legal case. I've had a lot of people I could sue for a lot of different things. But I've always been one that I said, I hope that I'm never a plaintiff in a lawsuit. I can't control that. And so I choose to forgive and then go build something else. Mm. And you clearly didn't let it defeat you. So I was like, okay, we'll move on. But again, I didn't have the cash flow to try to uh, save that business. Um, And at that point, um, shortly after that, I did get married. And so my wife was working at a urology clinic for $10 an hour. (laughs) But I then had, I now had my debt of paying my debt from this business failure. So I had to try to go find a job. Oh, man. And so I did say, well, I have to have some cash flow or I'm going to go bankrupt. I won't be able to pay, you know, these bills for this failed business. And I had no other ideas and I had no money. And as I, okay, well, I've now got a wife and... And our rent was still cheap. We just had a little place that we rented in. We furnished the whole house for $200. We had a free bed that someone gave us that I called the taco bed because it was... <laughs> kind of wedged we, in the middle. Yeah, we slept in the middle and we cuddled. Good thing we were newlyweds and liked to cuddle because you cuddled whether you wanted to or not in that bed. Um, I love it. Uh, but I started looking for a job. I went six months unemployed, rejected from scores of companies oh my goodness i even applied i was like and i i graduated with honors from business school you know i was one of the top in my class and so i'm applying for these different jobs which i thought i was a good fit for and then i started just applying for anything i applied at a sears call center the wage was 650 an hour but i said 650 an hour is better than zero wow and they seemed to hire everyone i went through did my tests did my interviews and i was like well, surely I'll get this and I can still look for something better. Um, but it came and they said, nope, you're not accepted for the oh job. Oh, my gosh. And I remember going and I still have my file of all those rejection letters. Dozens of 
companies rejecting me of, of trying to find a job. And I remember I, after those, it was just, I mean, heartbreaking. Yeah, you know? how, just be how like, do you go on from that? <laughs> and I get on my knees and I'd like, I was like, God, I need a job. You yeah. know, I'm going to go bankrupt here. Um, luckily, my wife was making enough that we could just, you know, make our minimum payments. And uh, but that was it. We had we had nothing. And uh, but as I knelt and prayed, I said, God said, He says, "You're not supposed to have a job. You're supposed to build a business." And I'm like, I tried that. Yeah, it didn't work. There. <laughs> and how do I start? I have no ideas. I have no money. I was like, but this is the question that I've then tried to follow since then is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Because see, I was telling the Lord, help me find a job. And the Lord's like, well, you're not supposed to have a job. See, the, the Lord was closing those doors because that wasn't the door he wanted me to go through. Yeah, right. So I look back now and say, oh, that was a blessing. But at the time I'm like- Not a blessing. <laughs> I got bills to pay. And you're just thinking month after month after month. And I was like, and I was applying for dozens and dozens of jobs. I it, yeah, applying for jobs, hard work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was like, so I was doing it, but, but that isn't, I wasn't asking the right question. So mm -hmm. then I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, I want you to build a business. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? He said, well, start a lecture series at BYU on leadership and entrepreneurship. And I was like, okay. I was like, don't know how that's going to make me any, <laughs> any money. I'm still thinking I got rent to pay. Right. And did you feel qualified to do this? I mean, you had your bachelor's degree, but still, who were you to come and lecture at BYU? So my job, I did have a job my, uh, my, my senior year as well at the university, and I was executive director of a Christ-centered leadership okay. uh, program. Okay. So I did have some experience running that, that leadership and seminar some there. some contacts. At the university. Yeah, and yeah. So, so I contacted the university, I actually contacted the business school to do it through the business school. And everyone says, you're crazy. There's no way they're gonna let someone outside the university. I had no ties to the university other than being a graduate. I was like, but this is what God's telling me to do. So I went in and I pitched it to the, to one of the directors there at the business school. I said, I'd like to do this uh, lecture series on Christ-centered leadership and entrepreneurship. And they said, yes. They took the proposal <laughs> and everyone was like, why? This, they don't do this. Yeah. This doesn't happen. Yeah. And I was like, well, God told me to come and pitch and it. it. I did. And so then we started inviting entrepreneurs to come in and speak. Okay. And it was then one of those entrepreneurs that came in to speak. After the lecture, he left and then he came back and he said, the spirit kept telling me to come back that we're supposed to meet. And he came and, and we set up a time to meet and we discussed, you know, things I had interest in, things a bit different business size he did. He had already built several successful businesses. He was a multimillionaire in his mid-20s. And, and so we then had, there was one idea that he presented, and I, I felt like I, was like, I think that's, that's the idea. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I said, well, let me go pray about it. He said, well, if you sign on, he says, you can have this office next to mine that's open, and uh, I'll put up the money, you put up the time, and we'll see if you can build this company. And was it primarily based with sales, where your strengths were? Uh, no, no, not really. It was a uh, so this was a uh, he. It was in the realm of uh, of helping people protect their assets from lawsuits, okay. reduce taxes, and uh, do estate planning. So it was in the legal realm, something I had no experience in, no knowledge in, 
and uh, and just it was a completely new business that he had actually had uh, several uh, top executives that he had brought in paying six figures to try to build this company and they had both failed. Wow. And so then he's thinking this young kid something. <laughs> he's like well <laughs> let's go but when I told him how much I needed a month to live but I said I need something to live but I said my main focus I want ownership I want ownership that I can build but I have to have some you have money to have more than six dollars an hour yeah just to pay my bills <laughs> right you know so I was like if I'm gonna build this because it's gonna take time to build I, I said he said well, well how much do you need I said I need at least 1500 a month and he just laughed <laughs> He's like, he's like, done. Yeah, you're hired. <laughs> I said, but I want ownership. But I knew that I just needed the minimum to make my monthly, pay my monthly bills, and then I'd make money when the company made money. I said, I don't want to make money unless the company makes money. Okay. And so. Now, where does that level of confidence come from? Like, you, do you saw this business model, you believed in what it was, and you thought, I can do this. So at, at that, well, I guess before we came to, to terms on the the finances, I said, "Well, let me let me kneel in that office and pray and see." And as I knelt, I got that clear answer. God said, "This one, yeah, I want this you to is do. where you're this supposed is where to be. You're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. and this is the company I want you to build." That's where my confidence came from. Ah, because got it. I had no experience. I had no knowledge. Right. And but where I get my strength is my favorite scripture, Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, and that's when I tried to do what I wanted to do. I can't get a job at Sears at six fifty an hour. <laughs> Where they're hiring that's everybody. That's me. But when I become an instrument in the Lord's hands, then I can do the impossible. Yeah. I can build. I can build companies. I can do those Did things. Did it feel impossible to you even after you had that um, inspiration? Did that yes. feel inspiring? Yeah. Because the goal when we then sat down and we then came to the terms on ownership and you know my monthly payment and and we set the goal of doing a million a year in revenue and it did seem and impossible that was the, and that was the impossible <laughs> goal was to take this idea and turn it into a million dollars of revenue and it did seem impossible and you know I had never made more than and even then that first year we had negative cash flow first 12 months of the business so my only check was at fifteen hundred a month, wow. and I had never made more than you know in a year. As like the year before, I had I made less than that because the business failed. So I actually uh, spent more money than I made, and so yeah, even seeing the 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 goal of even having you know the I remember the the goal of just having income of ten thousand a month just seemed like that would just be oh, wow <laughs> so amazing, but it seemed impossible. Yeah, you know and. Uh, but we continued to work and build, and there was times during that the, that first year that I wondered, is this going to work? Yeah. And there was times that I even went on and did job searches because I just like, really? I just don't know if this is going to work. And I would go and I'd do a job search because I'm like, man, I could go get a job, you know, back at BYU or in one of these other films, or I could go get a job in sales, and you know, you know, I could, I could make, make a it decent, work. I could. I could make a decent living, um, but then when I looked at it, but I look and it's like, is that what I want? You know, is that the the freedom and flexibility I want to be able to have time with my my wife and my children? And and I was like, no, I don't want a job now. When I have a nightmare, 
I wake up in sweats and tear, and my wife's like, what's wrong? I was like, I had a job. <laughs> I, had, I had a dream, and I had a job. It was horrible. Never put me in that <laughs> position. Like, no. And uh, so I'm... So, but I just looked at it, and again, I was like, that's not the life that I want. So I was like, okay, let me, you know, keep pressing forward with this, with this dream of building this company. Yeah. And in year, so in month 13, we did hundreds of thousands of dollars in business and hundreds of thousands of dollars in profit. Wow. My profit, it just turned for you. Yeah, my profit sharing check for that 13th month was $24,000. Wow, I bet that blew your mind. Yeah, I was like, this is gonna work. (laughs) I can do this. This is gonna work. And then we were able to then expand and grow on what we were doing. We did, so from that that month 13th, for the next 12 months, we did do a million dollars in revenue. Yeah, congratulations. In our our second uh, year of business. And then we grew it, um, we grew it from there to where we then grew it to a million a month. And this is what my partner was just always pushing me because that's what he said. Okay, you did a million a year. We then set a goal to do a million a month and we're able to then work and expand to where we got it to doing a million a month. And then we set the impossible goal to do a million dollars a day. That does seem impossible. <laughs> and we were able to then achieve the goal of doing million dollar days. Wow, that's great. And so it was just, but I remember after we had built the business and had those successful days and even, you know, the multi-million dollar days, um, that then people were like, you know, I was getting awards and recognitions and, you know, the different, now we had a, a board members of the company. And sure. I remember one of those board meetings, they're just like, they're giving me all this praise and honor and just saying, well, you're just such an amazing entrepreneur. And I was like, no, I'm not. They're like, what are you talking about? Look at what you built. And I was like, I didn't build anything. I'm the guy who can't get a job at Sears for six fifty an hour. <laughs> I was like, the way we built this company, I started every day, my first hour in the office, because like I said, I didn't know what to do. I started in meditation and prayer, and I said, Lord, what would I what would you have me do? And he gave me inspiration and direction. And that's where they're like they're looking at saying, these innovations, you're doing things that have never been done. And I was like, they're like, how are you doing it? And I was like, Jesus. And they're like, yeah, 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 all right. And I don't like, want to hear that. How are you like, really doing like, it? How are you really doing this? And I was like, that is the secret, was those, that hour of meditation and prayer in the morning and getting that inspiration and guidance and then following that and taking action and learning then from those, as you take those steps and actions and and having the, the Lord guide us on how to how to build the company and how mm. to do it. And I say, so I was like, don't give any honor or praise to me. You give the honor and praise to God. Because He's the one who built it. I was just an instrument well, to, to I love what it. you're saying because I think um, we hear it all the time and we talk about it, about the noise that's in the world and how often do we really slow down to just listen and this is near and dear to my heart because I have, I have um, tried to be more intentional lately with some changes in my own life, and um, I I have my own experience with this. Where if you actually can center yourself, you actually get quite a bit of inspiration about what you should do in your life. 
So that's a powerful message. I love it. Yeah, I think that's the, I remember there was a, an individual that came up to me after we had, you know, had the very successful company and he, he asked me that question. He said, what's your secret? And I told him just what I told you, uh -huh. that you say, Lord, what do you want me to do? You spend time listening and in quiet and trying to follow those impressions and guidance. And he got mad. He's like, <laughs> he's like, if you don't want to tell me your secret, then just don't, then, then don't. Just say and no. And walked off. And I was like, no, that. I'm sorry. It's nothing that, more. That was the. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. That was the secret. Well, this um, entrepreneurial venture allowed you to follow your dream of being an author, correct? Yes, and actually the, you know, when I asked that question, Lord, what do you want me to do? One of the other things he wanted me to do was to write books. And that was one that led me to that first business um, was, was, was writing. I was developing, you know, leadership books. My right. first book mm -hmm. when I was... The first business that failed. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so I love that writing and creating, you know, materials. And I did create different materials on, you know, leadership development and... And so when I was working at the university at BYU in the Christ-Centered Leadership, I actually wrote a book on Christ-Centered Leadership for the university. That was my first published book okay. when I was uh, 20, 23 years old. And uh, at that time as well, there was a multimillionaire in Alpine, Utah that asked me to ghostwrite a book for him on how to, how to become financially independent. And so I helped him write his book and at the time I was writing this book on Christ-centered leadership and I had all this conflict in my mind because it's like it comes in some of our religious culture and beliefs that money's bad. Yeah. yeah. And I remember reading mm -hmm. some of the books that he had me reading and as I was writing his book I was just thinking, well I have this desire to be an entrepreneur and, and build wealth but I still had this some of the guilt that it was wrong or bad, bad or huh? money's bad and, and and so i'm identifying some of these own things in my mind i said here i'm writing a book on christ and leadership and i'm writing a book on on how, how to, to become a multi-millionaire <laughs> become financially independent and they seem to really conflict and not gel but then as i started again pondering and praying on it's like no these gel we just have so many misunderstandings about money and that's when the idea came it's like god said well i need you to write a book that blends these two worlds together that business and and the and principles well, of mm -hmm. Christianity can blend hand in hand, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not, it's, you know, money is a tool and it can be good or bad. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, or running a it's business like can tool. be good or bad. Mm -hmm. It depends on, so with all of our companies, we try to follow Christian principles, you know, as we, as we lead and run them and we treat, you know, our employees and our customers, everyone with the, you know, following those Christian principles as best as we can. But that's where I actually had the idea to then write a book on that. But I was like, well, how can I write a book on that unless I've done it? So actually the business that I that we built from idea to million dollars a day was really the case study for that book. Because mm, I it. said, when we're building this company, I'm going to try to, you know, I read, like I said, I learned how to speed read and I read hundreds and hundreds of books. When I was doing the um, the book for this this multimillionaire in Alpine, he gave me, he'd just give me stacks of books to read. And they were wonderful books and I'd read through all of them. And, um, but I then started to formulate some ideas and principles of business. I said, well, let's see if I can apply these. So I would apply those principles as we were building that in company. Business, so over huh? those five years, 
from idea to a million dollars a day. It was about a five-year run, but I was always planning to then exit the business and, and then write. Right, uh-huh. And so that time came, and, and then I, so after about, yeah, that, about five years with the company, I made an exit in, uh, and began writing. And I began working on that book. It's called Does Your Bag Have Holes? Mm-hmm. 24 Truths That Lead to Financial and Spiritual Freedom. Yeah. And so it integrates those concepts of entrepreneurship and, and leadership and success, uh, but all founded on Christ as the foundation. Mm-hmm. And so I actually took a sabbatical from, from the business world for 18 months. It took me 3,000 hours to, to write the book. So I read, again, read, had research assistants, and we, they'd bring me all the material on different topics and... And yeah, spent 3,000 hours in research and writing. And did you love it? Was it so wonderful? I did. Yeah. It, again, it's, it's a part of why I love entrepreneurship and writing. It's just the process of creating, you know, is that you're, you're able to take a blank page, a blank chapter. We'd finished, it says 24 chapters, and each chapter was kind of a project in and of itself. And then, but then you'd get to the next chapter and you'd have a, blank page and again you'd start that it's like okay lord what do you want me to write about and 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 then how do we put it together and how do we formulate it and you go through the process and it was a miracle every time to mm. see to see it come together and then you have this creation of 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 new ideas and new information and I'm learning in the process as well that's one of the the great things of of being an instrument in God's hands you get to to be taught and learn in the process as well. And so. probably surprising to you about how much of that information that you had read came to your mind. You were like, oh, I see where this can totally fit in. Yeah. Yeah. And now having that experience of actually, you know, building and running a company for five years, yeah. you know, gives you some experience uh, to be able then to write in a way that, uh, and to know what questions to ask or where to look to then be able to have some. Uh, some experience and expertise to, to So was to that a self-published about. book? Yeah, I did. I did pitch it. I did have some interest from different uh, publishers and agents that did agree to represent it. But again, as I prayed about it, and I just, uh, you know, writing is a part of my ministry, and it's it's part of my 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 uh, you know charitable efforts. And I've just, and so I knew we were going to give a ton of the books away. And so with most of the contracts with the publishers, even as the author, I try to negotiate, you know, most of them you still have to pay, you know, if it's a $20 book, as in the author, you got to pay 10 bucks for right, the book. Right, exactly. Well, I knew I could print the book for, you know, a dollar, you know, well, it ended up being about two bucks is what it cost us to print the book. But I said, I can give away a whole lot more books. Yeah, at two bucks if, than at, 10. Than 10. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up going the route of, uh, of starting a publishing company in... Uh, you know, hiring the designers and editors, and and I think that was more too of my entrepreneurial effort of wanting to be able to, to be able to build it, create it myself. So, in this publishing company, it. do you publish other people's works, or is this primarily your your stuff? So, the publishing company has just published my books. Okay. Although it may, my son has finished his first book. Ah, it's with congratulations! Now, uh, we have sent it to an agent, and we'll see if the agent picks it up. Then we'll we'll have the public. We'll have them shop it to a publisher and try to do it that way. Uh-huh. Uh, if the agent declines uh, the book, then you got it. He's then, got a backup. Then my publishing company <laughs> will pick up the. Uh, we'll we'll sign a publishing contract with him in our company. We'll, yeah. 
will publish his book. But, but you're not interested in signing a whole bunch of different authors. That's no, not really what you No, so I, yeah, the, the mission and purpose of it is, is to, is, it's just a venue to, to share the things that the Lord asked me to write. So I ask the questions of what do the Lord want me to write about, and, and we then, you know, write those books and produce them, and then we give away a bunch. And they're, they're also for sale through, you know, Barnes & Noble and Amazon and all the other sales channels as well, but we like to then you know, donate books to libraries and churches and schools and prisons and yeah, wherever you can get them well. out. Yeah. So, having said that, I understand you're involved in philanthropic ventures. Obviously, yeah. this. Are there other things that you're doing that you want to share with the listeners? Well, I think uh, the education. As I look at so many of the things, you say, okay, here's something um, where there's a concern or something um, a problem in the world and as you then pray and ponder on a lot of times a solution comes with education and so with the different uh, philanthropic you know endeavors I'm in most of them are tied to education okay and that's why with books and again as I ask that question Lord what do you want me to do it's like I want you to write and it's been amazing to see the power of these books to be able to reach people in all over the world right and to be able to teach people, you know, in in places you'd never think that your book would reach. Mm-hmm. And to then still have reached, you know, Does Your Bag Have Holes came out in, you know, oh, 15, 20 years ago, you know, but yet it's still, you know. Applicable uh, and, and still changing lives. And still uh-huh. changing lives. And, so and that so, original ministry that you talk about, you know, the mission that you had during the work that you were doing, it has absolutely set you up to be able to live what you believe is your mission to spread this word of helping people and that God is the center of the decisions that you've made. Yeah. Yeah. And to then incorporate in the in the, the books that we're able to write to help to help my favorite topic to write about is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so I have written books that are written to business audiences that, you know, God's still there, but it's not the primary, you know, focus of yeah. the book, depending on the audience you're writing to. But I have been able to write books that are, are specifically to a Christian audience, and it just it's been wonderful to see the impact of of all those books that they've had. Uh, that uh, I remember, I, I got a phone call from a, a business owner in Kentucky, and he said I was in Kenya, and I was doing, I was over there on business. And he said, I noticed that these people had this handwritten book. And he said, I just serious. I was like, I wanted to see what this book was that they would take the time to hand To write copy, it out, yeah. To share. Yeah. And he said, I then went to another area and he said, I saw another handwritten copy of this same book. And he said, you could tell it had been read dozens of times as the pages were well-worn, and he's like, and and it was the same handwritten book. And so he said, well, the reason that I'm calling you is because it was your book. Does wow. your bag have holes? Oh, wow. And he said, I would like to, to see how much it would cost to send some cases of the book over to these people in Kenya <laughs> so they don't have to hand copy your yeah, book. Right. <laughs> He said, how much would it cost to send the books? And I was like, for anyone who is that hungry for knowledge, I was like, 
It's free. I'll just send you those just, books. <laughs> you tell me the address, and yeah. we'll send those yeah. cases of books out to Wow, that's awesome. We've sent cases to, to Kenya and other countries uh, throughout Africa. Well, clearly there has been an impact on the message that you've had. Yeah. When you think about now this particular part of your life and your journey, when you think about people who are looking to go into business and maybe have aspirations to be entrepreneurs, what kind of advice do you have for them? You know, we're all given unique gifts and talents. And that's why I say, ask that question, Lord, what do you want me to do? And see, the Lord uses the weak. He uses the imperfect. He uses the young. And so a lot of times what we look as our, as our weaknesses or our limitations or what we don't have, I was like, well, I had no knowledge, no experience, really no skills to go into the world of of the legal realm <laughs> right. and to build a business in that realm. Yeah, and be successful in it. Yeah, but when you can, you put your faith and trust in God instead of in yourself, and you then start to see yourself as God sees you. Because that's the thing. There was times I thought, I'm a failure. I can't do this. You know, I'll never make it. You have a failed business, they have month to month negative cash flow. You're like, okay, I've seen these other people do it, but maybe I just don't have what it takes to do it. You have those thoughts. Luckily, I was blessed with a wife who always had faith in me, always believed in me. <laughs> but I didn't always believe in me. But God always believed in me. So when I get more to see myself as God could see me, and see me not by my past and my failures, but see me by my potential, and to see myself as God sees me, then, I, then I'm filled with hope, I'm filled with faith. And then I don't put my faith and trust in myself, but I put my faith and trust in God. And then I can have full confidence. You say, where's the confidence come from? Well, it doesn't come in me, because I tell you, I'm, <laughs> I am, yeah, yeah, and anyone who knows me, they'll know that the fact that I'm an author or I've built businesses is not evidence of the great man I am. It's evidence in the great God I believe in. Yeah, well, that's quite a testimony. So thank you for that. Um, I do think there is that message that we make so much about ourselves and it's so not about us, right? We, we've got to get outside of our own heads, get out of our own way yeah. and do the work. Cameron, it's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listeners that maybe we haven't covered? I think, you know, my final thought would be, you know, back to the thought that you have unique gifts and talents. You know, you are a child of a loving Heavenly Father. You have unique gifts and talents. And He wants us to utilize those. And it's when we utilize those to serve and bless others that we also get the most fulfillment and joy. So, so often we start looking at or focusing on self. And it's a principle called the principle of indirection, that there's often things that you try to pursue directly. The more you try to pursue them directly, the harder they are to achieve and the more they go away. So an example of that is like, if I just tell you to laugh, laugh, laugh for me. <laughs> yeah. See? So <laughs> there, if I do it see? naturally, I can do see? it. Yeah. So when I tell you just to do it directly, it's a fake laugh. If it comes, it's not real. But your fake laugh created 
a real laugh, yes, right? So that's the principle of indirection. Yeah. So now, now there's some action that creates it. And so with laughter, it's a joke. Something funny happens that creates. But when we try to pursue it directly, you can't get it. So so often in life we try to find find fulfillment and joy through direct pursuit, and it's fleeting. But when we can turn our life over to service and we say, Lord, what would you have me do? Who can I help? What can I do to make the world a better place? Then as we start becoming an instrument in the Lord's hands to do that, we start to see we now are blessing the lives of others. They're being lifted. And as we bring them joy joy and happiness, then we get that fulfillment and happiness that it only comes through, you know, an indirect approach. Yeah. Well, we always hear that, you know, when we're having uh, the worst trials that we have to get outside ourselves, go serve someone else, forget yourself. And so I think that principle holds true for business. And uh, I know that when we in our own business get so focused on what's happening and we forget about the customer, it only makes our problems worse. (laughs) Right. We need to focus on the people that we're serving. And that's one thing that I've learned, too, is that that business is every bit as much a part of my ministry. I like one of the businesses that we have is Swimmable Mermaid Tales. Yeah. And people are like, Swimmable Mermaid Tales, how's that a ministry? I was like, <laughs> that is a part of our ministry. And I was like, and it actually fits when, when I prayed about getting involved with, to, again, it was a startup company uh, to take it from idea to manufacture to, you know, successful business. I thought when I prayed about it, I was like, there's no way the Lord's going to want me to do yeah, this doesn't swimmable seem like, mermaid mm-hmm. tales. This doesn't seem to be in the <laughs> realm of what I do. Uh-huh. And I got a clear answer of yes. And now I've come to see the wisdom joy. of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, what's my mission? To bring people joy, make the world a happier place. And it is now such a joy. We've now had thousands and thousands of little girls they send me their photos with their smiling face. I remember, <laughs> I remember one, the, the mom sent me one. I replied back and said, this is my favorite picture that you sent. And it was just a little girl, just huge smile in the pool. She said, that was her first swim in your mermaid tail. Oh, how fun. But how fun for the mom and for her. And it's like, oh, well, get yeah, it. this fits <laughs> with it. We're, we're, we're making people, you know, smile, experiencing the joy of living and helping people fulfill their dream. There's a lot of people have a dream of being a mermaid. <laughs> yeah, you know? so there and, we go. and there was a need in the marketplace. <laughs> so there was a need of people that wanted to swim as mermaids. We were able to fulfill that need, but now we've been able to bless the lives of those people that work with us too. Yeah. We yeah. said working with you has been such a blessing yeah. to our lives to be able to, to work with your company and, and friends that we found. And we've now been able to do work with Make-A-Wish Foundation that the little girls who their wish is to be a mermaid you can and help then people set start up. to see that you're like that so i was like yeah so whether my work is writing a writing a book or making swimble mermaid tales that they are both as as spiritual they're both a part of my ministry and my work uh, every bit as much the book that i write on the good news of jesus christ and the swimble mermaid tale there isn't one that's more spiritual than the other. Yeah, that both great. are a, a part of my ministry and work and what the Lord wants me to do. It's a great message. Oh, it doesn't have to all be super serious all the time. We can have fun. No. God. <laughs> well, in my latest book series, it's called The Way of Aloha. 
And one of the principles that I just love learning from is I just go and talk stories with the Kapuna, which are the elders, and just talk story with them and learn from them. One of them, they said, the highest form of communication with God is laughter. Now you think Western culture, a lot of times even with church and other things, it's yeah, like super reverent. And it's like laughter or even having fun is, that's not spiritual, right? That's not religious. Or it sometimes could even be like, no, that's a bad thing. Right. So to then see as like, so you start talking with you, it's like, okay, well, why is, why is laughter the highest form of communication with God? There's like, God is our loving Heavenly Father. He wants us to be happy. When He sees His children laughing and filled with joy, it fills Him with joy. Sure, just like our own children. Yeah. And, then, and you start yeah. to see it that way, and you just think, well, yeah, what? Can you see a baby smile and laugh and not, not help, smile and, not no smile and yeah, laugh you yourself? Mm -hmm. And so you start seeing it that way that you're like, well, of course God wants us to laugh and smile and be happy. And then you start to see some of those things that become cultural or even cultural within Western culture or even cultural within certain Christian denominations. Right. And it's just like that we... We've tamped it down and we don't need to be doing that. <laughs> Well, Cameron, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You clearly are passionate about serving others, bringing joy, sharing your, your message. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. And I know it's sure to inspire others who are listening to pursue their dreams and live what they're inspired to do. So thank you so much. And thank you. As a reminder, this show is sponsored by Oswald Service and Repair with locations in Idaho Falls and Rexburg. If you're looking for automotive repair provided with honesty and integrity, Come see us and let our family take care of your family. Now stay tuned for the Business Leadership Moment. It's now time for a Business Leadership Moment on East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business Leadership Moment. This segment is brought to you by RiseCon and RiseX. RiseCon is an East Idaho business conference held every November. If you haven't checked it out, please go to www.idahorisecon.com and learn all about it and join us in November. Um, also, RiseX has a new website where I really highly recommend you go check out www.risex.io. RiseX is a networking done differently. And I it's hard to explain. You, you need to come and experience it. They've changed the pricing structure. It's really affordable for any size of a business. So I highly recommend that you check it out. Uh, today, I wanted to talk with you about something I've been working on. And it really has to do around the difference between being a manager and being a leader. And I know that we've all heard uh, the saying, People leave managers, not companies. And my mentor, Linda Glinda Galindo, has been working with me to understand how the work that we're doing around accountability is leadership development. It's not training. It's not a workshop. It is developing leaders because the more accountable you can be as a, le as a manager, you become a leader uh, in being an accountable leader, uh, you have this accountable culture. And so I just wanted to share an idea with you. Um, and hopefully I'm going to do this over the next few weeks just to get you thinking. I wondered if I was a manager or if I was a leader. And so I started thinking about some of these things. And in um, reverence to the great Jeff Foxworthy, who does this much better than I, 
Um, I'm going to do this little segment called You Might Be a Manager If. And my first one is, um, in this last week, this phrase has gone through your mind or out of your mouth. I'll just do it myself. It's easier. So you might be a manager if you've said this out loud or to your brain. And I wonder how many times all of us have done that this week because it's something that is pretty common where especially we know so many aspects of our business, it's just easier for us to do it. And I've talked a little bit about this before, but I want to tell you a story about my own experience around this and what I learned. So I had, uh, at the time I was an administrator for the sixth floor of the hospital where there was a skilled nursing facility. And in order to have that particular unit in a hospital, you have to have an administrator, a nursing home administrator. And I held that license. Well, every year we have an unannounced survey. And so we'd had a survey from the state department of health and welfare, who was also surveying for the feds. And they found a deficiency around um, the way that we were offering food to the individuals that were there. there. You could only have a certain amount of hours that a patient was not offered food. And we had been offering our snacks in the evening a little bit too early, and so there was too long of a gap at night um, for people to not have an opportunity to eat. So we needed to solve this. And when they come in and survey you, you have about a 10-day turnaround, sometime a little bit less, to write up your plan of correction and get it back to them and have them check it out and improve it. So it's a pretty tight turnaround and it's kind of stressful and you have multiple citations. Um, it, it The whole process is just a lot of pressure. Well, we had fallen out in a few areas, this being one in particular, and I had shared this with my staff, what the areas were that we fell out in. And I had this enthusiastic CNA come up to me and she had worked in dietary, and now she was a CNA on our unit. And she said, Renee, I know how we can solve this problem. And she began giving me these ideas on how to solve this problem. So I listened to her. Well, I sort of listened to her. As she was telling me what she wanted to do, um, I, was, I was hearing stuff that, oh, we'd already done before, or I knew wouldn't work. I, I thought I knew wouldn't work. And so I interrupted her, and I said, you know, hey, that's a great idea, and I love the fact that you want to help, but that's not going to work, and this is why. Um, and she went on, and she's like, okay, well, what about this? And I did it to her again. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, we've done that before, and it just didn't work, and I don't want you to waste your time. And so we go on. I did it to her several times during this conversation, and I vividly remember her face, and I remember the way that she reacted to this situation. She shut down. I had this amazing staff member who otherwise really didn't have to be involved in this plan of correction. Um, I'd always done those before and then came out and told the staff what we were going to do. Again, we could talk forever about what I've done wrong. Um, but here she did, she was approaching me with ideas and I just kept shutting her down. Now, my heart was doing this because I had been in those same kind of conversations and situations, and I had had the same ideas that she'd had, and they hadn't worked. So I felt like I was sharing with her ideas or feedback on that was going to save her time so she didn't go down all these little rabbit holes that were going to get nowhere. Um, my heart was in that place of where I was trying to solve these issues so she didn't have to go through it. And... Um, 
I kind of shut her down. Well, I didn't kind of shut her down. I totally shut her down. So I saw her whole demeanor change. And she basically, you know, was like, well, fix this yourself. Um, and so that's what I did. You know, it was easier for me to just do it myself. Now, when I look back on this, how would I have done this differently? Um, because what ended up happening is I took an individual who otherwise would have owned this thing, made it work, totally invested, and I basically told her her ideas weren't going to work and that, you know, don't bother. Um, it was very demotivating for her, demoralizing for her. And she really did not feel like I listened to her. And how many times do we say our leaders don't listen to us? Well, I was like an, a prime example of not listening to her. I was listening, but I was trying to help her. But I didn't realize I was shutting her down. So in hindsight, could I have done this differently? And I really do believe part of the problem was I, it was just easier for me to do it myself. I was under a deadline. I knew I needed to get a specific thing done. Um, I could slam something together and send it into the state and not have to go through all of the time that it was going to take for her to go through these different roads that weren't going to take her nowhere. But what did I really gain from this? I didn't gain what I really needed. Yes, I submitted my plan of correction. They accepted it. But I did not have staff that were involved and had buy-in in the solution because I didn't allow them to be. Um, and I also probably, it was, well, I know, you know, she was very discouraged. And so how for how long did I shut down a staff member who was otherwise this amazing individual and would have done some great things for our unit. She's gone on to be a nurse. She's an ER nurse. She's an amazing nurse. And um, I think I might have been able to contribute to her growth quicker had I handled that differently. What One tools I, I definitely could have used was a clear agreement form where I sat down and said, okay, so we have a tight time frame here. And I've got to have X. You know, I've got to have this particular product by this particular time. So... I'll give you this amount of time to work through some of your solutions and I'll help you in this specific way, but we've got to have it done by this date or else we're not going to be able to submit this plan of correction. Had I taken the time to explain to her the details around why that dead deadline was important and what my expectations were, I know she would have run with it. She may have gotten through some of the roadblocks that I'd gotten through, that I couldn't get through before. So my point here is... If we are managers, we just get stuff done. We are absolutely driven to outcome. We are driven to task. And we do get things done. And they are done in proper procedure and proper order and exactly what is expected of us. But managers don't inspire other people to be the best that they can be. Managers um, do just exactly what they are asked to do. Leaders are the ones that inspire people, that grow people, that have relationships, that it's more about the people and what their potential is and the vision and the growth. And so I want you to just think about that example that I gave you in my own life and kind of think about where are you doing that to your own employees? And maybe they're not even showing much initiative that they want to step up, but you see it in them. Um, Give them an opportunity to, to rise to the occasion. Raise the bar in your organization by stepping out and feeling, you know, not feeling like you have to have control over everything. So 
just an idea around the difference between a manager and leader and something I learned in my own life. Uh, I will never forget the look on this individual's face my forever because it was, I just knew exactly what I'd done to her and it was too late. I couldn't reel it back in. So I don't want you to go through this same experience. Do more in your life to look about being how you can be a leader and um, step a little bit beyond just being that manager. People leave their managers, not their companies. So be that manager that's actually a leader that people want to work for. Okay, have a great week and we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to East Idaho Entrepreneur's Podcast. Proudly brought to you by Oswald Service and Repair for all your car care needs in Eastern Idaho. Let our family take care of yours. www.oswaldserviceinc.com.